Technology is pretty awesome, isn't it? A lot of us are pretty amazed and fascinated by all the new innovations that keep coming along. But if we're really that smart, why are we making things that are horrible for human health, destroying the natural environment and climate, and might even create the next disease pandemic? Are we really as smart as we think we are? That's what we're going to look into today and see if we can add a little more safety to the mix. Let's dig in. This is the joy of saving the human race, where we try to get the world to cooperate. It's so the human race can avoid some urgent global problems that could mean the end of civilization and cause lots of suffering around the world. But also, we just want to have a good world that we enjoy and we can feel proud of. We are not just citizens of our own countries. We are citizens of the human race. Let's learn to manage ourselves responsibly. Let's help the human race act like it wants to last for a while. I think humans are awesome and the human race is worth saving. There is no time to waste, so let's do this. Hi friends. Welcome to the joy of saving the human race. I'm Shelby Martis. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad you're here. So today we're going to talk about technology. Um, technology is really interesting, fascinating, useful, and also can be really dangerous. Um, and what I'm going to talk about today is my concern that our political and social and economic systems are just not ready yet for the new powerful technology that's being invented and put into the world. Um, I want you to know that I'm not anti-technology. I think it's wonderful and can do a lot of amazing things for us. But I think that humanity's way of handling its technology often just does not work and does not handle safety well enough. Part of the importance of today's talk also is that our society is going through a really um, big transformation, and it's happening very quickly. Um, and it's happening on two fronts. One is biological, and one is computing. So these are on the level of the big transformations that happened in human history, like the agricultural revolution, where humans learned how to grow food, and then that um, supported a booming population. And then also after that happened the Industrial Revolution, which started maybe 1700s and then 1800s became powered by fossil fuels. Um, and then that created the whole modern society we see around us with products and uh, transportation and energy and electricity and, you know, all the modern stuff around us. That's the Industrial Revolution. Um, and we've had enormous change over just a couple hundred years um, because of these advancements. But now we're starting two more intense transformations that may be even bigger than these last ones, and certainly far quicker. So one is the biotechnology revolution, where scientists and engineers are basically um, they're discovering how to manipulate life at its very basic building blocks um, in order to improve health and get things done. And then we've also got the information revolution or the digital age based on computing. 
So computers are widespread, we've got the internet, and we've got artificial intelligence coming along, and this is the other way in which society is changing rapidly. Um, today I'm going to talk more of the first side of that. I'm going to talk about ways, um, you know, leading up to our biotechnology, but some additional ways in which our technology really impacts the physical world. So things that impact our health and things that impact our environment by the stuff that we make. The next episode I'm going to do, I hope you'll join me for, which will be more about the digital age, more the information revolution that's happening. There's um, overlap between these two, certainly, um, partly because all of the physical things I'm going to talk about today are being powered by computing and internet and our new information tools at our disposal are helping these technologies quicken and come upon us much faster than they used to. Part of today's talk is going to be looking at the recent past of how humans have dealt with technology so far. And this is critically important as we consider our future and what new technologies are going to happen. Because we need to look at these patterns of how human relate, humans relate to our technology. And I'll argue that we need a far different relationship with our technology than we have so far. Um, technology has given us amazing things. I mean, the quality of life for so many people on the planet has gotten easier, more plentiful. People have food, like, you know, we have so much um, in the terms of resources and capabilities that we have and the standard of living for so many people. But at the same time, our existential risk as a species has been piling up for decades. So we've got climate change, we've got the destruction of our natural environment, we've got pandemics that are likely to be um, more intense and more frequent in the future. We've got nuclear weapons. We've got, we've got some seriously intense problems. And many of us are concerned that if we don't become more careful, our civilization won't last through the century because there's a lot of things on the verge of falling apart. And so this is all due to our technology um, and how we manage it or fail to manage it because that's how we've had this damage upon the world is with our technological advancements. So that's what we're going to take a look at today is how can we rebalance that relationship with technology and learn to do this differently. So in a minute I'm going to dive into some details or, or some examples and, and show you what I mean to demonstrate this. But generally where I'm headed with this is that we need governments that are better at regulating technology around the world. I'm not claiming that we need to regulate everything. I don't want stifling government in our way in all aspects of life. But at least with the dangerous stuff, we definitely need government regulation. We need binding laws and rules that are enforced. And there's a few reasons for this. One, as we'll see, there are far too many cases where we trust companies to do the right thing, but then they don't, and they unleash dangerous things upon the world. Also, 
the setup these days and for the last several decades seems to be that people can invent and release into the world whatever the heck they want. And then once the damage is done, and if enough people are upset, then maybe we get government regulations some years later, once a lot of damage has already been done. Governments are rarely proactive, and they rarely prevent problems. So we need new types of regulation where government can anticipate problems before they happen and keep them from happening, and have far more systems in place for safety. The reason for this is that our new technology is becoming too powerful to wait until the damage is done and then fix it later, because um, the damage will be too great. Another part of this whole thing is that we need to look out for competition between companies or between countries. This type of competitive race can push people to overlook safety because they're trying to rush something um, to fruition before the other guy does. Also, technology um, typically advances faster than our slow governments. So governments are often cumbersome, and so they just react more slowly to the very fast technological advancements that are happening. Um, and then especially with the computing and internet advancements, that are just making everything go quicker, um, they're just leaving governments way behind. And so we need new types of government structures that are more agile and able to deal with this stuff. And then finally in this mix, we need international systems, not just country by country, because technologies can be invented anywhere, they can be made anywhere, and they often affect everywhere in the world. And so there's no one country alone that can manage these things. So as we look at all of this and these examples that we're going to talk through, notice a couple types of situations. In some cases, technology happens for good purposes, to solve problems and make things better for people. But they have bad side effects that nobody quite realized at the time. And then those side effects pile up before we're aware of them. Other situations are where technology just should not have been invented in the first place. It's dangerous, it's harmful, people put it out in the world anyway, and our society fails to prevent that kind of thing. So both of these are in play. Um, I'll just share that as I contemplate this stuff and I was preparing this material and looking at these examples, I get really pissed off sometimes, to be honest with you, because there's situations where people behave badly. Um, people are doing harmful things and our society lets them. And it's just shitty. It's horrible. It needs to stop. But as we address all this, we can't simply just identify a bad guy and then stop them. Because just shutting down one company or one product, that doesn't solve anything. Because somebody else will pop up and do something else. So we need systems in place that manage everyone's behavior, that put um, sort of boundaries on a situation 
so that people can't just release whatever dangerous thing they want into the world. So at the end of this presentation, I'm going to recommend some ways that we might put safety systems in place and try to make this better. So now let's talk through some examples and some stories and you'll see what I'm talking about with all this. So this first set of things is around climate change and our destruction of the natural environment. So where we stand right now, we have the highest carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere than we've seen in the last three million years. Also, we've got the highest global temperature that we've had since the last ice age, which was 12,000 years ago. And it's during this 12,000 years that humanity has, you know, where civilization has occurred. Basically this sweet spot of the climate that has allowed agriculture and allowed this sort of stability and prosperity that has turned into our modern age. We're also in the middle of the Earth's sixth mass extinction where we're losing species in nature faster than at any time in the last 65 million years when the dinosaurs died off. So we're killing off nature so quickly. We don't know how these situations with the climate and environment will play out because this is new territory. This has never happened to humanity before. So we've never lost nature this quickly, and we've never had a climate warming this quickly. So a lot of damaging things um, might be on the way. So this all started with the mid-1800s with fossil fuels. Um, we were having industries starting before then, but fossil fuels really made everything go so much faster and really got embedded within our economy because it was so useful that people use fossil fuels for all kinds of things, whether it's transportation, electricity, for manufacturing, for everything. So it was used for over a hundred years before people knew the climate damage. But by then it was hard to stop because it's so intertwined in our economy. Um, and even now that we've known for decades that climate change is a concern, it's still been hard to stop because it's so intertwined with the economy. So fossil fuels then powered a bunch of other destruction of nature all through our advancing technologies. So this includes clear-cutting forests, this includes overfishing, this includes mining, pollution, chemicals, pesticides, plastic that's littering all over the place. Uh, we've gotten good at replacing nature with concrete. Now, it's, incre it's incredible the damage we've done. Um, but it's not like anyone said, I hate nature. Let's go destroy the planet. Like, destroying the planet was not the goal. That just happened because people weren't really thinking about it and not really understanding how powerful we can be. So through much of human history, people saw nature as sort of limitless and didn't really conceive of the fact that humans could be so powerful that we could destroy it 
and in turn hurt our own safety. But we are pretty darn powerful with our technologies. So we did this as we were doing good things. So we were providing goods, we were providing food for people to eat, transportation, heating and cooling of our buildings, economic growth and jobs and prosperity and wealth. Um, but nature and climate were secondary. These were side effects. So now the computer age is making environmental destruction even more efficient because it's tying together this global economy that puts insane amount of pressure on some natural places and um, is just generating so much economic activity to support our 8 billion people and all the crazy things that they want that um, nature is just getting destroyed and the climate is going crazy. So this is sort of a group of technologies that I'm talking about. This isn't just one thing, but this is really the super-powered um, industry that has happened for the last couple decades. And it's technological advancement like this that has become a big existential threat to humanity. So from all this, I just want you to notice that, you know, destroying the environment was not the goal. It was a side effect because we just did not prioritize safety and we did not um, look to the future and look at the possible consequences of our behavior. Another example of our technological advancement is nuclear weapons. Um, during World War II, these were invented trying to solve a really bad, dangerous situation in that moment. But it gave us many decades of risk um, and the risk of catastrophe. Like in managing our thousands of nuclear weapons in the world, accidents have happened and there have been really close calls where they could have been launched, they could have exploded, they could have killed millions of people. And we've just been lucky so far. And we've been running for decades with this risk that is still with us. So um, I'm going to do another episode down the road about war and nuclear weapons. And I'm going to talk more about this in particular. So I just briefly offer this example so that you can see that sometimes in solving a short-term problem, the next long-term problem gets created. And we can't uninvent things. So once you create it and give it to the world, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like it's out there and it exists. And sometimes, um, even though the short-term problem is really important, the long-term might be just as important. And we need to weigh right now with the future. Also, I raise it so we can think about how countries that are afraid of each other, that are locked in an arms race, militarily or economically, they can do dramatic things, sometimes dangerous things, because fear drives them to hurry up and, and do something desperate. Um, this competitive thing can also happen between companies who are racing with each other to bring a product to market 
and they can overlook safety because they're racing and that's dangerous. So our next example is nuclear waste. So there are nuclear power plants around the world, um, but I'm going to focus for a minute on the United States because I just know more about it. But in the United States alone, there are over 88,000 tons of radioactive waste sitting in locations around the country, and there's nowhere to dispose of it. So no one wants it. It's just sitting at power plants around the country. Some are power plants still running, some are power plants that have been closed down. But it's really dangerous material. It's very bad for human health and for the environment. So you can't just throw it in the local landfill. You have to be really careful with this stuff. And transporting it is dangerous. So there's a lot of effort and expense to keep this material safe year after year. You have to have a lot of safety precautions. You have to have security there. It's expensive to keep the stuff safe year after year. And we have to hope that as it sits there decade after decade, that accidents don't happen, that we don't have a hurricane or an earthquake that lets that stuff release. So what's crazy about this and baffles me is like, did anyone think about disposal before creating all these nuclear power plants all over the country and creating all this electricity? Like, why why would people not think of disposal? Like if I were to set up a new energy system, I would say, hey, where are we going to put the waste? Especially if it's dangerous waste. That would actually, for me, be first priority. I would figure that out first before making the waste. So, um, I don't know. It just baffles me how over decades people could get that completely backwards. So right now, actually, people, a lot of people are urging that we ramp up our nuclear power production in order to address climate change because it's, you know, doesn't release uh, carbon dioxide and such when you make this power. But I'm kind of agnostic on this, you know, maybe, maybe not. But I would say if we're going to do it, how about we first plan for where the waste is going to go. Like, I hope that will be step one in figuring that out. And maybe I'm, I'll be more willing to go forward on nuclear if we solve the first problem first. Like, show me how to handle the waste and then maybe we can do more powerful things. So with this example, I just want us to see that sometimes the people running the show don't always think it through and maybe they need our help to think it through. The next um, example I want to talk about is chemicals. So there are chemicals that cause huge harm to human health and to the environment. I'll just remind you again that we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction on Earth and ecosystems are falling apart. And toxic chemicals are one of those pieces that are causing this. There's other things also, but chemicals, it's a big problem. And there are tens of thousands of chemicals manufactured and used. And very few of them are regulated. 
so most of them seem to have little or no research done on them before they're released to the world. And so people haven't really researched what the impact is on human health and on the environment. Some of them are intended to be sprayed liberally all over the place, like pesticides and fertilizers and such. Some are a byproduct of manufacturing, like their waste or pollution. Some gets out and about through the products that we use. But basically, we've got this toxic soup of chemicals around us that is just, there's more and more all the time, and there's very little done about it. So within this toxic soup, I want to just highlight a couple examples. One of them are referred to as forever chemicals. So this is PFAS, is an acronym that stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. So the two that have been most commonly used are PFOA and PFOS. But this is a category that includes over 4,000 chemicals. And just the fact that there's 4,000 of them tells you that chemists have been really busy over the years, creating a lot of things. These are known as forever chemicals because they last in the environment for hundreds or thousands of years. These are very durable substances that just don't break down. And so it's kind of like the plastics of the, the chemical world. Like they're just going to be around for hundreds of years. Um, it's their durability and like the fact that they don't break down. That's what makes them useful. So they're often used in products where it's helpful to resist water and oil. So they're used in Teflon nonstick cookware. They're used in firefighting foam, in food packaging, in water and stain resistant fabrics and carpeting, um, in cosmetics. Um, they reach into the environment most from their manufacturing where the companies making them have often just dumped them or dumped the byproducts of their um, manufacturing products, they just, they dump it out back. They dump it in a river nearby. Like they just make it go away and it's just getting dumped. Also, it's entered the environment through the firefighting foam. So that gets sprayed all over. And then after a fire, the rain comes, just rinses it down the drain and it goes into the nearby river or it leaches into the ground, it gets into groundwater. There have been especially egregious situations in military bases where they've trained firefighters over like weeks and months and years. They just keep spraying this foam in their training. And so these areas around military bases are just like a toxic shit show. Um, but then also often from the manufacturing companies making them, um, just being highly irresponsible in what they do with it. So because these substances are so durable um, and we often ingest them in our drinking water and the products that we use, that most people around the world have it in their bodies. And many wild creatures have it in their bodies. Um, and like I say, it comes from our drinking water, our food, our products. In very small quantities, these chemicals can cause cancer, liver damage, asthma, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, 
suppressed immunity, decreased fertility, learning delays in children. It can make vaccines less effective, which is especially troublesome as we deal with pandemics. You kind of want the vaccines to work. Um, so this is insanely unhealthy and for nature too, like we need to be restoring our natural environment because it's important to our continued safety and health going forward. So we're not going to protect environment by giving animals cancer. It just doesn't help. These chemicals have been used since the 1940s. And back as far as 1961, DuPont Chemical, manufacturer of this, knew that it was harmful, but they kept making it. In fact, they kept dumping it in the town around their factory, like thousands of people got sick. Um, and they did research, even their own employees were getting sick and coming down with some of these health issues. But they knew it and they kept making it anyway. And then some years later, they ended up spending hundreds of millions of dollars to settle lawsuits based on the damage that was done. And through all that, they still kept making it because they were making money. Um, there's been some regulation of a couple of these more common chemicals and some public pressure put on companies to not use them. So often they've replaced the use of these by very similar chemicals that have been, there's been less research done on them, so we know less about them. But we know that they're likely to be just as harmful. So there's this like game of switcheroo that they play and they say, oh, we haven't, we don't use those anymore. We use these other better ones, but they're just as bad. It's all the same stuff. So after decades of this stuff being made, and put in nature and harming people and harming nature, it's still mostly unregulated and still causing tons of damage decades later, and it's still happening. So there's some other types of chemicals to keep an eye on known as endocrine disruptors. These chemicals are known to mess up our hormones like testosterone and estrogen these chemicals are often used in plastics, food packaging, flame retardants, electronics, pesticides, personal care products, cosmetics. I think it is especially fascinating that chemicals that have such an influence on our health are being used in like soaps and shampoos and cosmetics that people put all over their bodies. It's pretty bizarre. Um, so these chemicals are known to decrease testosterone in men, reduce sperm counts in men. It interferes with conception, causes more miscarriages, disrupts menstrual cycles, and causes early menopause. So there's a woman uh, who researches this stuff for the last couple of decades, predicts that by the year 2045, it may require assistive technology for anyone to have a baby. Like humans just won't be able to have babies using natural means anymore because our reproductive systems are shot. 
And so everyone will need in vitro fertilization and other things in order to get pregnant and have babies. And of course, similar disruptions are being seen in nature. So biologists are finding animals that have smaller penises, deformed genitals, altered mating behavior. So again, the goal here is to be restoring nature and protecting it. So disrupting the reproductive cycles so they can't have babies, that's not going to work. And it's, we just can't do this. So, um, wow. So this issue with chemicals is just pretty crazy. Um, so I think we should notice here in this situation that sometimes companies do not regulate themselves well. Also, we should notice that sometimes governments have failed to regulate them. And that definitely needs to change. So finally, this last category of technology um, that I'm going to talk about is biotechnology, which is more, you know, happening now and like the way of the future. I took us through these examples so far of technology being handled poorly so that we could see our track record as humans has been to just put shit out into the world and then deal with the consequences later. And I just want you to keep that all in mind as we talk about these next things and imagine what will happen if we approach this new stuff in the same way without having safety precautions in place. So this biotechnology encompasses a lot of different practices. It's not just one thing, but it's basically technologies that allow people to manipulate the building blocks of life down to the cellular level um, to basically create life that does whatever we want it to do. So there's a couple overlapping pieces to this. One is known as synthetic, bio synthetic biology which is basically making cells from scratch, designing scale cells out of inorganic materials. You can make cells that then replicate. Um, and they're getting pretty good at this. It's not like ready for prime time yet, but they're really discovering um, the possibilities here. There's also gene editing, which basically they can take DNA or RNA, the the basically instructions for life within cells and make changes to that. So they can tweak one trait to make it a little different, or they can just combine different um, material from different species in order to make a new thing. Um, so within all this technology, there could be enormous benefits. And some we've seen so far. So this can be used to cure disease especially genetic diseases. This in the future could be used to replace skin or organs that are damaged or help people heal from disease or injury. Um, these things could be used to improve agriculture. And we've already had some genetically modified organisms, GMOs, used in crops that have certain beneficial traits these new tools will just accelerate that all much more and make it more powerful and more easy to use. 
So we could have crops that are heat resistant, which will help in our warming climate. Uh, crops that are resistant to disease or pests and then may require less chemicals, less pesticide and fertilizer. We might see new biofuels um, like algae, for instance, which then could harness photosynthesis to run our cars or other machinery. And farther in the future, this could be used on ourselves to enhance human genetics so that people are stronger, smarter, live longer, um, are more resistant to disease. A lot of beneficial qualities that could come from this. One of the big technologies right now in this realm is called CRISPR. CRISPR is an acronym for a chemical process I'm not even going to say. But basically what this does is it uses an enzyme that carries genetic material. So it can go then in cells or in a body and change the DNA in those cells to make it act different. So this can be done in a petri dish in a lab or can be put into a living creature um, to then change the cells inside that body. There have been genetic um, editing or genetic uh, modifications being done for many years now, and it's been getting better and better. But CRISPR just made it fundamentally more powerful because with this process, it's much easier to use. It allows far more precision with fewer mistakes. So you can go into the genetics and splice exactly the, the piece that you want and, and sort of get it just right. Um, it's also a lot cheaper. And most people who work in genetics have been very surprised at how soon it was invented because they thought it would take many more years to pull this off. People have also been amazed by how cheap it's becoming and how quickly everyone has started using it. So in the course of just a few years, it's kind of revolutionized everything and everybody's using this stuff. Um, this realm is following a similar pattern in technology, kind of similar to computing, where it becomes cheaper and easier and more powerful and more available to everyone. So like in the computer realm, you might remember that decades ago, computers used to be these giant machines that were very expensive and required specialized knowledge to program them and run them. But now, like, everyone has a computer, and even in your pocket, in your cell phone, is a powerful computer, and everyone has one, and it's easy. So that kind of trend is happening with this genetic engineering. So it's become so easy and cheap that now there's students using it, there's hobbyists using it, there's do-it-yourself biology clubs that are playing with this stuff. So a lot of times in cutting-edge technology, <clears throat> people will be resistant to government regulation because they feel the government regulation will stifle innovation and keep people from doing, you know, this new technology. But just notice that one of the inventors of CRISPR, her name is Jennifer Doudna, she has been advocating for more government regulation and more international regulation of genetic engineering.
She said that this started a few years ago for her when one night she had this dream where in her dream, Adolf Hitler came to her and asked her how to use CRISPR. And it just terrified her because she realized that this could be insanely dangerous if it gets in the wrong hands and the wrong people use it. So these tools, let's consider those dangers and what might happen. So these kind of tools can be used to make bioweapons, either by governments or by terrorists. There is an international bioweapons treaty or agreement that company or countries have agreed to just not use this stuff. Some countries have cheated anyway, um, Russia being one of them that um, despite the treaty have decided to you know cook up some bioweapons. But um, they fortunately have not been used over the years because countries often have a fear, rightfully, that if they engineer a virus or something and put it out there, that it could circulate the world and come back and inf infect their own people. But with this new technology allowing more precision and more targeting with the product that you make, it could become more tempting for people to try to use it or for governments to use it in a military fashion um, because it might not have the blowback and it might not come back to their own people. They might be able to design it to just target a certain type of people or just in a certain location or just under certain conditions or make it time limited or something like that so that they could use it and then not infect their own people. Also, there's the capability of terrorists or other bad people getting their hands on this stuff and use it in damaging ways. Another piece to consider is genetically enhanced humans. Um, some of the stuff could be great, but it also could intensify the differences between rich and poor in the world because perhaps only wealthier people will be able to afford to do this. And so that division between the haves and have-nots make it even greater when you have some people who are genetically enhanced in order to be healthier, smarter, live longer, etc. And our society is not planned for these things. And that's an important conversation that needs to happen. One issue is potential impact on nature. So people are going to be cooking up all kinds of products, all kinds of new organisms. And what if those get out of nature? Um, it could become the next invasive species that nothing in nature knows how to eat or knows how to kill or doesn't have any predators. So it just proliferates. There's even instances where people want to use this stuff to manage nature in certain ways. So like to fight malaria, which is spread by a mosquito, people have considered using what is called a gene drive, where you could release some altered mosquitoes that get in the general mosquito population and change the genetics of that population so that those mosquitoes no longer can carry malaria. Or you could just wipe out that type of mosquito and make it extinct. Um, 
yeah, it might be great because a lot of people die of malaria and it's a horrible disease. Or you could just cause insane amount of damage to an ecosystem and have unintended consequences that nobody's thought of. So positive but risky. Um, there could be accidents. So while people are working on stuff, it might escape from a lab. Um, so before it's perfected and ready for prime time, it might escape out into nature and cause a lot of problems. Viruses especially could escape from labs, which could then cause a pandemic. And there are high security labs around the world that are working on highly deadly viruses, studying them and even changing their traits and editing them. So if that stuff escapes, it, that could be the next pandemic. That could even be worse than COVID. Um, I'm going to do another episode about pandemics where I'm going to talk about that risk in more detail. So I hope that you'll listen to that. And then finally, another risk is that people cause a pandemic on purpose. So um, we know that there's always a few bad, unstable people in the world. So there's... Um, people who get their hands on guns and go do a mass shooting out in public because they're just kind of bent and crazy and unhinged. It's bad enough when people do that with guns, but if bad, unstable people can get their hands on, say, viruses or make viruses and release them intentionally, that could be devastating. And there's the potential that with these tools, you could make viruses that are far more deadly than the ones that occur in nature. You can make them more transmissible, more dangerous, more deadly um, than the current ones in nature. So that would be bad news. So among this list of dangers that I just rattled off, I think what concerns me the most is the possibility of more pandemics because of this technology. So there's the issue of it escaping from labs where they're working with very dangerous viruses, but also the fact that just normal people without even specialized knowledge can get their hands on the tools to make viruses. So for instance, in 2017, there was a researcher who made horsepox. Horsepox is very similar to smallpox. Smallpox was a horribly devastating disease that was around for centuries, but was wiped out by about 1980 through intensive vaccination around the world. During the last 100 years of smallpox's existence, it killed about 500 million people around the world. That's half a billion people who died of smallpox in just 100 years. Horsepox is not as deadly as smallpox, but it's sort of a cousin. They're sort of similar. And um, if you can make horsepox, you can make smallpox. So this researcher, he made horsepox for just $100,000 using mail-order DNA pieces that he purchased. It took him about six months, 
and he said it really did not require sophisticated knowledge. Like, there's a lot of people in the world who could replicate a similar thing. And now, for instance, smallpox DNA, like the, the gene um, code for it, it can be found online on the internet. Like, it's a, the information is out there. So, really, somebody could reassemble this and release it into the world. Um, and so it's not far-fetched that somebody could do this. And like I mentioned before, with a little more knowledge, they could just create new viruses that no one has ever seen before. So there's a couple key uh, lessons or things to observe with this whole biotech thing that we've talked about. One is that trend I mentioned where technology spreads. So over time, it gets cheaper and it gets easier to use and more people have it. Another concern I have about this realm is that it will just follow in the footsteps of the chemical industry where we have tens of thousands of chemicals out and about in our lives and in the environment that are not regulated and are very poorly studied and people don't know what their impacts are. So with this new biotech revolution, people are going to be cooking up all kinds of different things, whether it's new crops or fuels or medicines or who knows what kind of products people are going to use with these tools. And it could be very harmful if there's not regulations in place. And I feel like we're very vulnerable if we approach this new powerful technology with the lack of structure, lack of safety, lack of rules that we've had in these other realms. I think we're opening ourselves up to a lot of danger, including possibly more pandemics. And I think I've kind of had it with pandemics. So... I would like us to just consider some suggestions, some possible ideas to make ourselves safer with all this kind of technology. One possibility is that with these biotechnology tools and equipment that people could use to doctor up a new virus or you know crazy substances, we need to have licensing, training, monitoring, so it shouldn't be where just anybody who wants can buy a machine and make crazy things with it. Like, you should have to have specialized training so you know how to use it responsibly, that you know safety protocols, and you go take a test, and somebody verifies that you know how to handle materials safely. And then these items of equipment or supplies are licensed just like somebody um, buying a gun, you know? Um, I mean, some places gun regulations are lax, but in many countries, if you're gonna buy a gun, you have to show your license, the government's gonna keep track of who you are and which gun you bought, and, you know, in some cases do a background check and make sure you don't have a criminal background, make sure you don't have mental health issues. Like, this is just common sense stuff to avoid dangerous things getting in the hands of somebody we don't want getting this stuff. So 
I would love to see really strong regulations on this front and do that soon. Like don't wait until like tons of hobbyists and bad guys have virus equipment in their basement and then decide to try to do something about it. Like really the time is now before it rolls out there even quicker. Another suggestion is a little harder. It's basically totally overhaul a regulatory structure for physical substances that get created, whether that's chemicals, whether that's biological substances. There's a lot of overlap, but a substance is a substance, and people are just creating things that could be very harmful as they got out into in the environment um, or in products that were sold. So, like I pointed out before, um, we've got systems basically where people just put it out in the world, damage is done, and then regulations follow after. And we need to flip that so the regulations prevent the dangerous thing from getting out in the world. And so that means if you're going to create something new, you need to apply to the government, you need to have them take a close look at it, we all need to do some research on it and see if it's safe for people and see if it's safe for nature before it gets sold. And so with this kind of stronger regulation, some people are going to complain about it because it could slow down innovation and slow down the release of new products and inventions into the world. I think that's perfectly fine to slow down innovation because lately we've had innovation going much faster than our safety systems and we're about to hurt ourselves. And so it's okay to slow down just a little bit in order to get it right because these are very powerful tools and we need to get it right so we don't hurt ourselves. We need to let our safety systems catch up to our innovation. So in order to do this, Governments need to hire lots of scientists. So there's, you know, biologists, chemists, physicists, doctors, ecologists who study, you know, how these things act out in nature. So the government either could have these people full time on staff or just have lots of contracts with, say, people in academia where like, hey, we got this new product. Oh, you seem to know something about it. Let's hire you to take a look at it. Um, government needs to invest in science so much more in order to get this right. Um, I don't want to see, though, governments have to pick up the entire bill for paying for this because it's often private companies making this stuff and making a lot of money on products. So those companies can pay to have the research done. But I'm often suspicious or skeptical of company um, hired research where they can just get researchers to say whatever they wanted to say. So I want to see systems where governments pay for the research, but then, I'm sorry, companies pay for the research but governments manage how the research is done. So the government actually hires the researcher and oversees the outcome so that we know it's more neutral and non-biased and we can trust the results better. Now through this kind of process, um, 
this government regulatory process needs tons of scientists to get this right that may draw scientists away from private industry and some will complain about it because they'll say that it will slow innovation by drawing talent away from private industry i think that's just fine because so far we've seen innovation going faster than safety and so this might rebalance it um, but something else to keep in mind though is that in order for products to be released in a faster way, we actually might want to invest in the scientists and the regulatory structure and the staff so that we don't have backlogs. So backlogs in government happen when there's more people applying for permits um, than there is staff to review them. And so if we beef up government staffing and scientists, then they can go through the applications quicker and allow companies to then get an answer on what they want to do. Another part of this regulatory scheme is that um, you want regulations, you want a, a company applying for a permit to get a preliminary answer to the question before they've done their whole spent millions of dollars and spent a couple years trying to invent something and then get denied by the government that's that's an unfortunate thing to have a company um, wasting so much time and money on something that doesn't work so you want them to be able to go to the government agency and say hey we want to make something that's got approximately this chemical structure or this is what it's going to do this is how it's going to work you know is this something you feasibly will give us permission to do and then they can get a preliminary answer so they don't potentially waste a lot of effort one other aspect of this regulatory um, system is you got to regulate how it's manufactured but you also have to regulate on the consumption end of it. So the reason or the concern I have is just for instance, say the United States regulated and said that this particular chemical cannot be produced in the, in the United States, but they still allow it to be sold in the US, then what would happen is those um, those factories are just going to go overseas. They're going to go look for a country that's poorer, that has weaker government, weaker ability to regulate their behavior, and they're just going to make it there. And then it'll just get sent to the U.S. anyway. And so you have to both manage the production of the chemical or the biological substance or whatever, and also manage the consumption end. And if it's a really dangerous thing, then you need to just shut down the market for that and say that that just simply can't be sold anymore. And for many of these really dangerous things, that's the answer. You got to just stop selling the stuff and stop making it. And then finally, this improved regulatory structure that I'm suggesting um, should happen at various levels of government, but including internationally. So this doesn't, it's not fully effective if it's just done country by country. Because like I said, manufacturing can then just go happen somewhere else where there's fewer regulations. 
or products can just be sold somewhere else where there's less regulation. So really an international framework for this stuff will work best because we have such an interconnected global economy. Like, we're all in this together. And the added benefit of that is that the world can share resources, share expertise. It's a much more efficient system. And this really should happen within a stronger, better funded, better staffed United Nations that has the authority to manage big issues. And so this sort of shared international system then um, you could have scientists from around the world collaborating on this kind of regulation and this the needed study of chemicals and biological materials to keep everybody safe instead of each country having to employ its own army of scientists it's so much duplication of effort if every country is gonna try to have the proper regulation to keep itself safe so with that efficiency internationally we could get this done with far fewer resources and the need for expertise if everybody can share and also that will help the poorer countries of the world that can't afford their own um, you know team of scientists to study these things so um, global cooperation again is really useful so that's what I've got for you for today. Um, but as we wrap up here, I'd like to offer a few key concepts that you could remember and take with you. One, often destru destructive outcomes are not the goal. They're just a side effect from people going about their business and not prioritizing safety. Also, the people in charge don't always think it through, so they might need our help. Also, sometimes companies do not regulate themselves well. And sometimes governments have failed to regulate companies, which needs to change. And finally, as technology advances, it spreads, it gets cheaper, it gets easier to use and it gets harder to control who gets their hands on it. All right, well, thanks for joining me today. Um, I'm again gonna encourage you to check out the other episode I'm doing on the more digital technology like artificial intelligence, social media, internet things, deep fakes, basically all the computerized ways in which uh, humans might damage themselves with uh, emerging technology. Also, I encourage you to check out all the um, episodes of this series of like 10 or 11 episodes where I'm going through basically a tour of the um, greatest threats that humanity faces right now and potential solutions to solve them, including lots of international collaboration because these are all worldwide situations. All right. Thank you so much. I'm glad you joined me for today. I'm grateful for your time and attention. And uh, let's talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening, but you're not done yet. We can't change the world if we keep the joy of saving the human race to ourselves. Help me spread the word and help this movement grow. Please subscribe to the show 
both the podcast and the YouTube channel. Leave ratings or reviews, which encourages others to listen. Share this show with others on your social media. Even better, just tell a friend about it and have a good conversation about the state of the world. These things really make a difference. I hope you can help the show grow and reach a larger audience. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you. And please stay in touch with me. I love to get feedback, suggestions, and questions. Go to the website at joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. At the website, you'll learn more about the show, and you can sign up to get occasional email updates. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for being here. All right, we're done for today. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.